listening to WPFW Washington. Good evening. It's just about 6 p.m. in the nation's capital. The name of the show is News Views on every Friday from 6 to 7 p.m. in the nation's capital. There are a number of ways to check out our show, not the least of which being you can turn on 89.3 FM in Washington, D.C. You can go to WPFWFM online. And, of course, you can download the WPFW app. And that's the best move because you can listen to us all the time and get all the updates, etc. Now, I am fortunate enough to have with me the one and only Greg Palast, investigative journalist straight out of, uh, I don't know, California. What's, what's happening there, Greg? Uh, what can I tell you? Skullduggery afoot. Oh, my chicanery. All kinds of things like that are always afoot. Yeah. And that's why we need Greg Palast on the case to make sure that everything gets taken care of. So we've got plenty to talk about today, Greg. And if you've got some time, we can take a few calls and everything. So let's cool. start with this. Um, the Mueller report. Um, I will say this and then I'll throw it to you. I don't even, I haven't been, I don't know where you were on it or what have you, but I'll, I'll give you this, this, give me about a minute here. So, and, and then I'll throw it to you. Okay. For the last two years, Garland Nixon on this show has said repeatedly, there will be no collusion finding. There will be no obstruction of justice, justice finding. I felt all along that it was straight up bull crap. I didn't believe it. Never believed it. I told my audience, love my audience, argued with many of members of my audience. Time and again, I told them this will be the finding. Now, this isn't the first time. I love my audience. There are a few people in my audience that argue with me, but sooner or later, I always win because I haven't missed one yet. Whether it was predicting Trump that would win, I on and on, I go around circles with a lot of people and they call and tell me you're wrong. And then ultimately, these because these things aren't real difficult. So at any rate, my thoughts on the Mueller report, I'll end up by saying this. I knew this was coming. I predicted it was coming. And it's it was nothing but a con game, a confidence game, in my opinion. And what we have now is this. At the end of a con game, once a con artist cons the mark, right, the mark is embarrassed that they've been conned. So they don't want to admit it to themselves or anyone else. So immediately when a con game is over, you know, the cops come to the mark and say, look, oh, Bob there took your money, took everything you got. You've been conned. And and generally, the mark will defend the con man. And they'll say, no, it wasn't a con. They are so convinced that they haven't been conned that it takes them a while after the con to even grasp that they've been had, took, lied to, bamboozled, all of that stuff. And I think that's where the resistance is now. I think they were conned. And right now they can't believe it. So they're still like standing there going, no, it can't, it can't be true. There, there really is. We don't know what to do. And so they're just all screwed up and angry, angry at people like me who told them it was a con. Um, unfortunately, the only people they're not angry at are the people who condom the Rachel Maddows at Al of the world. That's my thoughts. Um, Greg, I want to hear what you think about the Mueller report. Let's start with this. The man in the white house is an orange stained Latinist bag of malicious mendacity, <laughs> a snorting porcine pile of bloviating bigot. Hinged to grasping little griplets, graceless, petulant, so-called president who didn't collude with Russia. That was Never about did. To... It was so obvious. It was it was so horrible to watch this for two years. And I I gotta tell you, I paid a price for that. You you and me both. And because I was excluded from MSDNC. <laughs> Because I would not join the Russia, Russia, Russia chorus. I was asked by a wonderful host that I do love. Last time I was loud on prime time. Are you afraid that the Russians will hack the voting machines to steal the election? They ain't the Russians that are dead or hacking in the Ohio, <laughs> right? In Ohio. Are, they, are you afraid the Russians are going to hack the, Ohio, uh, the machines in Ohio? And I said, I am afraid 
that the Republicans, who have the passwords, the motive, and the opportunity to steal the election, will steal it, and that they need no help and no advice from some pimply kid with a computer in his mommy's bedroom in Russia. Well, let me add. Let me ask you. Let me add this. The other part of it is this. I've been always, and you do, you've done a lot of work on. Um, um, Everything you've done a lot of work on on, on voter suppression, etc. Yeah. And I felt like this, you know, the people like you and I who really felt that voter suppression was a major issue and that that's what was costing the elect- elections time yes. after time again. We felt like the Democratic Party, first of all, my opinion was that should have been their top priority because you can't enact any policies. Unless you win and you can't win if you allow interstate cross check and all this stuff. So I was always angry that the people one of the things that frustrated me about the Democratic Party was for all their complaints about Trump and Putin and who ever knows. The one area they wouldn't go was the area they needed to go. And that was the fact that. Number one, our our um, our uh, 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 voting system is all screwed up. But number two, that even after the vote, most of the time, it's not possible to find figure out whether or not it was an accurate counting of the vote. Go well, ahead. Here, let me do something here for you. You are a hundred thousand percent correct because when you're talking about Russia, it's what you're not talking about that's damaging. Okay. Besides this new McCarthyism, which, by the way, has all kinds of other effects. Remember, they've indicted Julian Assange yep. for committing journalism. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, they were. Um, we now have censorship on Facebook. My site is under attack. Right. They're supposed to get away from Russian influence, but it's when Greg Palace and WPFW that are under yep. attack. Yep. Okay. Uh, we have. We have all kinds of oh, new McCarthyite evil. Chelsea Manning is in jail again. It, and Chelsea Manning is in jail again, right? And that's all okay because we're supposed to, because it's all about Russia, 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 and Putin called WikiLeaks and uh, that fixed the election. No, it didn't. You're right. Number one is the vote, okay? Now, I got to tell you, Hillary Clinton said the week after she announced for the presidency, in the summer of 2016, she said, she said, um, excuse me, in summer 50, she said, I will not, she went to a, a, a historically black college and said, we will not forget that the election was stolen in 2000 by stealing the votes of black people. And then she immediately had amnesia. Right, exactly. Okay, now. So <laughs> no, 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 if you think about it, Greg, she yeah. said, we will not forget. She didn't say she was going to actually do anything about it. So if, well, you, so if you walked up and said, Hillary, do you remember? She goes, yeah, I remember. Now, Are let, you going to do me, anything let about me it? Remind oh, no. you, let me remind you of something else, too, okay, which is that I did a film. I'm going to even plug my stuff now. Oh, the I'm, Best Democracy Money Can Buy which, by the way, is free on uh, Amazon Prime now. Oh, awesome. Uh, you can get it at, uh, the best democracy money can buy, which I put out in September saying, here is exactly how Trump is going to steal the election. Right. I wrote a story for Rolling Stone on something called a racist vote purge system called interstate cross-check. Yep. And I put it in Rolling Stone and said, here's how Trump's going to steal the election. And no one would believe me, except you yep. and your listeners on PFW and the Pacifica Network, no one was... You know, everyone bought their party dress for Hillary's inaugural. So she could say, screw you to the black voter. She could say, screw you to the Hispanic and Asian and young voters, right? Because she didn't need them. She was already inaugurated. She was already crowned princess. Now, and then... The, they never released the balloons through the glass ceiling. Remember, they were going right. to do that in New York? They <laughs> yeah. never released the balloons, okay? Because they didn't care about what was going on with those voters. Here's the thing. I'm not a big fan of Hillary Clinton. I, it doesn't matter. She won. I mean, here's facts you'll get in the Best Democracy Money Can Buy. We did a post-election edition. Oh, I didn't know that. that. Yeah. So if you go now, you get the post-election edition. That's actually what's up on Amazon. Uh, the post-election edition, which says, in, since you didn't listen to me last time, now pay attention. That's a new subtitle, Archie. <laughs> now pay attention. Michigan. Let me just go through it. Michigan. Um, Trump supposedly won by 10,700 votes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Except 75,000 
355 ballots were never counted. That's official. Never counted because 81 machines that count. Remember, you, you vote on paper in Michigan, right. but it's counted by machine. Right. The machines broke down. 81 machines broke down in Detroit and Flint, cities under occupation by Republican-appointed managers right. who would not replace the broken machines, so they couldn't read 75,000 votes. Now, if you have 75,000 ballots that couldn't be read... In the bluest of blue areas. In, yeah, black and blue. Right. That's what it is, okay? Voters of color and the color's blue. Whose votes were they? Now, here's, now you'll love this one. Hillary Clinton. Okay, and by the way... Now, if you remember, Jill Stein, it's important to know the history, Jill Stein of the Green Party paid for a what was wrongly called a recount. What Jill Stein was doing instead was actually saying, count the ballots that were never counted, because right. the machines broke down, but there's another machine called the human eyeball that can read those ballots. And so they started counting them. It was overwhelming. It was, it was for, those are all Hillary ballots, obviously, in Detroit, Michigan, right? And um, in Motown. And Trump's lawyers went to the state capitol, seven lawyers went to the state capitol and said, stop this count because Jill Stein, now you can count the ballots 90 times. Jill Stein can't win. Right. So she has no legal right, no standing, right, they called, standing. To, bring the, to bring this suit. To, bring, to continue this recount. Hillary Clinton's lawyers were there. The judge said, well, okay, you're right. Um, she can't win. The only challenge that could be mounted is by Secretary Clinton. Her lawyers were there. So she turned to Hillary's lawyers and said, uh, what does Secretary Clinton say? And their answer was, we are just here to observe. Yep. And see, here's the thing. It's not that she didn't want to be seen as a sore loser, whatever the heck, I don't care, okay? She's worth a quarter billion now, according to her official filings, okay? A quarter billion dollars, all right? Um, and it's not her votes to give away. Right. Just like when Al Gore threw in the towel, it wasn't his right. votes in Florida of black people. For those who don't know me, by the way, because it's a long time, right. it was in 2000 when I was working for The Guardian and BBC that I uncovered that that the Republican Party, the Secretary of State Catherine Harris, had removed tens of thousands of black folk from the voter rolls of Florida, saying they were felons. In fact, their only crime was voting while black. I uncovered that. That was covered on WPFW, on the yep. Pacifica Network. It was covered um, in Democracy Now! It was, it was covered on the front page of The Guardian, the top of the BBC Nightly News, and nowhere in the United States of America mainstream press because it is you cannot talk about race listen you've got martin luther king's day off so now shut the f up yep. okay <laughs> right that's the attitude yep. and that's the attitude of the democratic party yeah and joe biden who is now running because he can talk to working people because he's met he, they garden they you know they they clean up his garden for him <laughs> you know all that stuff they wash his car he's met a lot of working people in his life um they don't want the black voter because you would have a different Democratic Party. Well, let me ask because, you. Go ahead. Let me, yeah. let me ask you a question about that. I, and, and maybe, you know, this is my feeling on it. Mm-hmm. After watching the primaries last year, the yeah. other thing that came to mind, and you, 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 since you work, and once again, we're talking with investigative, um, investigative journalist, uh, Greg Palast, who wrote the book and put out the movie, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, available. You can go to Prime Video on Amazon uh, Prime and, and check out that great movie. I've watched it. I would recommend it. Um, but, um, I've always felt too that the, the, the people who run the dick, cause when I talk about the Democratic Party, there's a difference between the people and the, you know, the pillars of power, the people in charge, right? Yes. And the people in charge of the party, after watching the primaries, I always felt like this. They don't want to challenge, you know, chicanery in the general election, um, when it comes to voting because I think they want to reserve the right to be able to do it in the primaries because the primaries looked awful suspicious to me, more than suspicious. So what do you think about my, and I, and I know a lot of people believe that, but what do you think about that? Did I just lose you? Yeah, no, we're still here. Okay. I, I can okay. still hear you. Okay. What do you think okay. about that? Bingo. Okay. <laughs> um, if you wonder why Al Gore, well, uh, lost, um, excuse me, uh, 
was it uh, Kerry, right? Who lost New Mexico by five thousand votes mm-hmm. in a state which is majority minority, right? Mm-hmm. It's a Hispanic state. It's an overwhelmingly Democratic state. How could John Kerry lose? The answer is that the Democratic Party, under Bill Richardson and his Hispanic Democrat right wing corporate Secretary of State, who was later indicted. Mm-hmm. Um, decided that they had to crush the poor and Hispanic vote, the working class and poor Hispanic vote, and the American Native vote, and the Pueblo vote in New Mexico, because there's no way that Bill Richardson could win a primary. There's no way that these right-wing corporate Democrats could win primaries in New Mexico unless they suppressed that vote. They su- unfortunately, they suppressed, they couldn't get it exact. Right. So they ended up with, with Kerry losing the state, but they didn't care. It kept them in control of the Democratic Party. I saw it in California. I'm telling you, I was just in Georgia with mm-hmm. Stacey Abrams. Bless her, the one Democrat. And, gee, no guessing for knowing that she's black, okay? Mm-hmm. The one Democrat who says, I lost because of vote suppression. She said, I won my election. I wasn't inaugurated because of racist Vote suppression. And by the way, I'm, I'm happy to say that it was 2014 that I showed her the illegal purge list. Mm. I've been working with that lady for five years, but she said it out loud. And in California, I've saw, I saw the worst Jim Crow games in, in Georgia, and the only state that's worse than Georgia is California, where I'm sitting right wow. now in Hollywood. If you want to know about vote suppression... Just ask Alex Padilla, our allegedly Hispanic Secretary of State. When you talk about vote theft on a mass basis, the games that are played here are simply unreal. And I was attacked in the Washington Post. In the Washington Post, which normally ignores, they said, a respected investigative reporter, by the way, I'm going to quote that forever, respected investigative reporter Greg Palast has lent his name to conspiracy theories that Bernie Sanders actually won the Democratic primary in California. And I called up the, this second-rate cub reporter, and I said, since when is arithmetic a conspiracy theory? 900,000 ballots were never counted in California, disqualified on cockamamie reasons. All of those were what we uh, independent voters. And that was that was that was Bernie. That was what Bernie was going to make. According to the Roper polls, three out of four independent voters chose Sanders, and they disqualified those ballots literally by the hundreds of thousands. And that's in go to the records of the Secretary of State. By the way, after I asked for more details on the numbers on their website, they simply took off all the numbers on their website. So look, you are you hit it on the head. I mean there's many reasons why this happens. You know, um oh, you know, Obama frankly was scared of that that he would be accused of playing the race card if he did something about racial vote suppression. Well, well, well Greg, I'm going to do this. Let's, yeah. You know, we 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 always say, you know, we've in um, America been trained to cut everything into Democrat and Republican. Every, yeah. you know, that's the division for everything. Either you're a Democrat or Republican. The Democrats are the Republicans. But what happens if we view this voter suppression thing from a different perspective? What if we do it, d- d- view it from class? What if we say the elite ruling class versus the working class? What we see is in the Democratic primaries, the elite working class is suppressing the votes of, excuse me, the elite ruling class in the primaries. Is suppressing the votes of the working class. And in unlike the general election where the elite ruling class are suppressing the votes of the working class. So but I'm being facetious, but you see what I'm saying? No, if you take away the terms Democrat, Republican, right, left, progressive and everything, what you get down to is a class issue where the elite ruling class, because there are few of them, are doing everything they can to ensure that the few rule the many. Greg. Well, in fact, Absolutely, because if you look at the specific cases, look at, for example, New York. New York, like the great liberal bastion, right, is the last state to have permitted, in America, to have permitted early voting. Wow. They just are going to have it now, 
okay? Early voting for the first time. Now, early voting is very specifically black voting. Right. It's, you know, if you're in the community, you know that Sunday before the, the Tuesday voting Souls day. Souls to the polls, they call it. It's Souls to the polls day. And in places like Ohio, that's 70% of the black folks. Wow. Now, in New York, if you have Souls to the Polls Day in New York, Andrew Cuomo could not control the Democratic Party of New York. If you had Souls to the Polls Day, you couldn't have a Democratic Party, which is basically a uh, subsidiary of the real estate industry. This, You are absolutely right. It is all about class warfare. I've always said that vote theft is class war by other means. So let me, that being said, you know, we're, boy, the time's just flying, but there's some other things I want to touch on. I don't want, we oh, yeah. don't have to go continue to go over the, the Mueller report. Two years went oh, yeah. by. I told my audience for two years, I said, this is the finding. The, the, the finding that I predicted came out, so I don't need to, you know, beat a dead horse. But there is something important that we need to talk about that you are very familiar with. Yeah. When we, once again, when we talk about the elite ruling class trying, uh, uh, working hard to suppress the ability of the working class and poor people and people of color to have a say in how their country is run, we go to a country that you are very familiar with, the country of Venezuela. Um, talk to us a little about about what you your background in Venezuela and about what you know about what's going on there now. Okay, I was the BBC and Guardian reporter assigned to cover Venezuela when when Hugo Chavez was elected president, and I was sent down there. I was literally sent down there with advanced knowledge of the coup in which he got um, he was Hugo Chavez in two thousand two was kidnapped. This is my beat. I kind of discovered Hugo Chavez. Uh, <laughs> no one knew who he was. And even BBC, I said, I'm going to Venezuela to cover the, kit, the uh, coup against Hugo Chavez that's impending. They said, who's Hugo Chavez? <laughs> These are people in the newsroom, right? And so I've been there, watched a long time. And here's what's missing from the press discussion. If you go to gregpalast.com, I'm going to tell you to read an article. It says, behind the Trump's coup in Venezuela is white supremacy. It's an issue of race. I say, wait a minute, Palace, you're always bringing up race. This is truly about race. I want you to look. There's two pictures that say everything. If you look at the members of the opposition to Chavez's successor, who's Nicolas Maduro, if you look at the members of the Congress, what they call the Assembly, who are in opposition, there is a Telesur picture of the entire group, you know, like a class photo. Mm-hmm. And it looks like you've just taken a photo at a Klan meeting at a Republican country club. <laughs> it is lily white, shiny white. Every one of the opposition members are white. Now, let me tell you something about Venezuela. It ain't white. Seventy <laughs> percent of the people are mestizo. That is, they're darker skin. They are indigenous, uh, mixed with uh, African American, African Americans. By the way, they are Americans there too. Right. Uh, mixed with African Americans, mixed with Spanish blood, but the white people call themselves Spaniards. Seventy percent are mestizo, and they. And if you look at the uh, at the people that support the government, the deputies, the members of Congress, the deputies who support the government, there's a photo there, and it shows them, and it looks like an NAACP meeting in Birmingham, Alabama. And by the way, I say that because it's just at an NAACP meeting in Birmingham, <laughs> Alabama. It's, it's dark. It's various shades of dark faces. Right. And so this is about race. And when and what we have is we have Trump. And, of course, it's about oil, oil and race right. together. If it's about Trump, who has said, who called up this guy, Juan Guaido, and look at his picture, Lily White, uh, Trump was just with his wife. I mean, I'll admit, she's hot. She's white. She's a model. You know, she's great. You know, but that's who they want to impose. They want to take a white guy, which, by the way, when he announced, he called himself president. He announced himself. Can you imagine if Nancy, he was the right. head of the assembly. Imagine if Nancy Pelosi said, we don't like Trump. He's unpopular. I'm president now. Well, look, imagine, imagine this. Even worse, imagine if somebody from another country, from halfway across the world, said, yeah. you know what? 
Uh, Pelosi. Yeah, that's it. From now on, she's president, and nobody she's else president. can come to your country unless we tell you, and you can't do anything. And then, and that's right. oh, by There's the way, we'll cut off embargo, your... which is causing tremendous suffering. But it's important to understand the black-white situation. Right. That's what's not discussed. Again, race is not discussed in America. So what's happened is, and Chavez told me, he said, "Look, they're upset because I knew Chavez pretty well. By the way, I know his opposition. I knew Maduro. Um, Chavez said to me, look." They don't like me because I'm negro e indio. I'm black and Indian. And he didn't mean he was proud of his heritage, as one editor of mine said. No, no. He says, I look, I am black-skinned. I have have Indian features. They hate it. When I was on the street in Caracas, they would call him the monkey. They would, every type of racial slur you can imagine that they were chanting, yes, you see these big marches. I want you to look very careful. Take a picture when you see in the in the Washington Post in the in, in the Bezos uh, newsletter, if you look in the in the New York Times, uh, you know you will and you, they show those protests against the government. Look closely, blow it up if you have it on computer. White face after white face after white face. It's as if it's if as if they suddenly said. Well, the white people of Rhodesia aren't happy with the with the current president. So we're going back to Rhodesia, or enough with uh, the ANC. We're going to back to white apartheid rule. They want to return apartheid. Yeah, exactly. Because it's going to, it would, uh, you know, it's it's great. I'm glad you said that because our uh, audience have heard exactly what you're saying now about the race and about the uh, the issue of white supremacy. My audience has heard has, has heard that exact argument from me because <laughs> because I've been making that exact argument. I'm glad to hear you come on and making it. Thank That's you. the exact argument that I've been making for and months. If you go down there. It's it's like screaming. Obviously, you have rich white people. In fact, I I I got you know people were upset that I described. I mean, literally, you have these. Women in high heels and, and fancy lipstick and makeup marching through the the high class shopping district. Men are marching in suits. So basically, they're trying to literally show their badge of their wealth. Right. And if you go to the Chavista demonstrations, which are twice as big and not covered in our media, they're brown people wearing jeans and t-shirts, and and that's the and you get all you need is those pictures. Look at the protests. The anti-government protests, you see white people. Look at the pro-government protests and, and marches, you'll see brown people. Well, let me it's ask really you, black and brown. That's let, the whole story. Let me ask you about this. For all of this crap about, oh, the socialism's destroying the country and blah, 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 and Chavez was a terrible guy. I seem to remember that when Chavez came in, they had horrific pro- poverty. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't he come up with a lot of programs that dramatically reduced poverty? Well, I'll, I'll give it to you even better. Um, I, let me read to you exactly what the CIA said, um, which is, uh, wait, let me get the CIA. I'm going to pull up the CIA statement. Here it is. If you look at, at gregpalace.com, uh, the, the uh, article, In Venezuela, White Supremacy is the Key to Trump's Coup. There's the white and black pictures. you got to listen to what the CIA wrote in their fact book, which is their internal document. Quote, social investment in Venezuela during the Chavez administration reduced poverty from nearly 50% in 1999, when Chavez became president, half the people were in poverty, to 27%. Wow. To, in other words, 27%. He cut poverty in half by 2011 when he passed away. And okay. how, did, how did he do that? And he, he took the oil money, which up to that point, Venezuela is sitting on the largest oil reserves in the world. The oil money used to disappear in corruption, go to Miami, go to the rich elite, and poor people never saw it. The, the average Venezuelan never saw the oil money. And according to the CIA, I'll, it says he increased school enrollment. I'm reading from the CIA report. Increased school enrollment, substantially decreased infant and child mortality, and improved access to potable water and sanitation through social investment. That's what Chavez did. He transformed the country. It was like Roosevelt's New Deal. He's Nelson Mandela and Franklin Roosevelt all put together, and the brown people of Venezuela. And I and and if you don't like me using the term brown, I'm using it. And it's important. I'm fine with because it. of their skin color. They are told you may not have your country, you may not have your oil. It was meant for Trump and his white buddies to take it back. We're going back to apartheid, and we have this neocon. Uh, nutcase who sold us the war in Iraq named John Bolton. 
And Elliot Abrams, who, who literally directed death squads in Central America, he's our so-called ambassador to Venezuela, and Bolton is our national security advisor, and they have said, Bolton said he actually spoke with American oil companies about, about uh, uh, getting the, the oil assets of Venezuela. They're naked, they're public, they're saying it on Fox News, we're there to get the oil, and they're using the hammer of race to accomplish it. Yeah, and, and it looks to me, to be quite frank, it looks to me like their initial plan, because these, while they are evil, they are hapless bunglers. They are evil, hapless bunglers. That their stupid plan of picking random guy Guido and uh, shoving him in his presidency has fallen very flat very quickly. The, the, that, 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 to me, in a way, that's good news. And now Russia's coming in and some, and China and other countries are basically saying we're gonna, you know, we're gonna throw a monkey wrench in this. The problem is that they are, they have laid a medieval siege on um, Venezuela, along with with other countries, that they're they're like laying laying economic siege to everyone, and so it appears to me that their plan is, oh well, if we can't get just get the country, I guess we'll just starve all the people to death, and we'll step over the dead bodies and steal the oil that way. That's what it seems like the long term plan is. What do you think, Greg? Absolutely. In fact, when you say medieval siege, that's the exact phrase used by the United Nations rapporteur. Now, the, a rapporteur sent by the UN is an independent investigator to, to, who's supposed to report back to the U.N. what's the situation. And the U.N. rapporteur said this is the United States and allies have imposed a medieval siege on Venezuela using starvation and the embargo to win Venezuela's oil. That's the United Nations report. Well, and now you've got to add cyber attacks. You have got to add cyber attacks because now the U.S. has, you know, their, their, basically their electricity goes out. And as it's going out, Marco Rubio or some other neocon fruitcake is basically in real time tech, you know, kind of doing a real time texting about what's happening or going on before the Venezuelan government even knows what's going on. Marco Rubio knows, seems to know what's going on. So that's the other thing for all this talk about, oh my God. Gosh, there's cyber attacks. People are attacking North Korea, the Russians, the Chinese. We're the ones that are launching cyber attacks on a on a country that suffered. Everybody said, and here's what I think. Everybody yeah. said, oh, they suffered from so socialism. Their setback, the problem Venezuela had was that they had a, a um, economy that it wasn't diverse. It was only based on petroleum. And when the price of oil fell, that's what really caused them to suffer. But we piled on with the sanctions. Great. Can I tell you something? You embargo Washington, D.C. You embargo... I'll tell you what, embargo Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, where no products can go out, no products can go in. The checking, the system of clearing checks, you can't write checks, called the SWIFT system, is shut down and you're shut out of it. Let me tell you. They stole a billion. They stole over a billion in their gold. There would be mass starvation in Arlington. There would be mass starvation in Baltimore and in Washington. You'd have... Congressmen looking through garbage cans for food. Venezuela, Virginia and Maryland couldn't withstand this type of embargo, nor can Venezuela. I'm afraid, and I'm going to tell you the truth, I've seen this before, I saw this playbook happen in Nicaragua, where you have a massive embargo which makes life impossible. The, the electricity keeps going out. One of the, In fact, one of the Pacifica correspondents who was down there finally had to leave because he couldn't report because the electricity keeps going out. And by the way, it's a compound. It's not only whether the games that they can play with cyber attacks. And according to the National Security Archives, this is one of the, it's in the Kissinger playbook, by the way, right. of how you bring down a government, you start turning off the lights. And, um, and we, in fact, we openly did that. We kept saying that. George Bush kept saying how he could turn off the lights in Baghdad with a, with a, uh, you know, push of a button. And it is something that the U.S. does, but on top of it, you can't recover because they have to import insulators, transformers, copper wire, etc. This is a nation that depends on import and export to survive. It doesn't have spare parts. You blow out a transformer, and there's no replacement. So you have to understand that the technical difficulty of even running an electric system when you are denied spare parts. When they took our, they took Venezuela's oil. By the way, the number one 
The number one single private customer of Venezuela are the Koch brothers, right. Koch Industries, refineries, and the Gulf Coast of Texas. They took the oil, and the U.S. government has stolen the money. So the Koch brothers aren't paying. The U.S. government is taking whatever they've paid, is holding it, so that Venezuela can't get the money for the oil that's exported. You do that to Texas, and Texas would die. Well, additionally, I don't know if you know it, um, also, England, um, uh, the, the, the Venezuela was storing $1.2 billion worth of gold in England, and of course, being the, 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 the poodle that they are for the, for the Ameri- American hegemonic government, the Brits have denied the, the Venezuelans over a billion dollars of their own money. And so yeah. we're saying, well... I want to add something to oh, that, ahead, by ahead, the way. Because I remember, I report for British television. There's two aspects to that. Number one, the right-wing conservative dying of that vastly unpopular government of Britain is holding one over a billion dollars of Venezuela's gold in their treasury, supposedly safekeeping. Venezuela said, please give us the gold or the money from the gold. It's our gold, you know, and we need it. And they said, screw you, you can't have that gold. The Venezuelan people gold, they're, and they're saying, oh, look, the Venezuelan government's starving its own people. They won't take food. They have that uh, that that uh, uh, idiot uh, from Virgin Air, um, Branson, well, Branson, Richard Branson, who is literally throwing food over the border. I'll tell you what, it's they don't need, like, like the President Maduro said, we don't need your charity. We need our own money that you're sitting on, Branson. Right. You let the British, and here's, here, here's the other side of that story, which I haven't heard reported. So this will be a first. Last year, the British government asked the Venezuelan government to give the oil fields that French Total, the French wanted to give up, and give those French oil fields in Venezuela to British Petroleum, to BP. And Maduro said, screw you, Venezuela's going to keep that oil. We're not giving it to British Petroleum. That's when... They said, okay, we're joining the embargo, we're not giving you your gold, you're, we're, going to over, we're going to recognize Guaido. But remember, because you're a dictatorship, they weren't a dictatorship when they were asking Venezuela for those oil fields for BP, only when Venezuela said, go jump. So this that is suddenly a, so this the is British early, were with uh, Trump. So this is early fifties Iran all over again. It's exactly the same thing. It's the British oil company. It's the person who runs the country. Doesn't well, that's what we did with Mossadegh in Iran? The the person who didn't um, want to they who wanted to nationalize the oil fields and 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 keep their own resources for the people there. Well, that isn't going to happen. We're overthrowing them. So we have you know this this. This country, I'd like to say reverted to, but I don't think we ever 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 left it. But this Neanderthal, violent, um, uh, Darwinian uh, foreign policy that says whoever's got the big, you know, it's whoever's got the biggest fangs and claws uh, rules the forest. There are no ethics here. There are no morals. There's no right and wrong. It's criminal. We have a bigger gun than you, and we can take your stuff, and we're going to do it. And that's the, what I see way. here. And here you're getting see because now it all comes down to the money and the oil. And you're right; it's what they have, and what they have is oil. And one thing I want to know: all these nations complaining about oh the the dictatorship in Venezuela. For a dictatorship, they've got hundreds of thousands of people marching against government in the streets. Every news channel, except for one, is anti-government. The papers are against the government. They let Guaido run around inviting foreign troops into their nation. Um, for a place that's a dictatorship, they allow more opposition than we do in the United States. Imagine if Nancy Pelosi said, I'm inviting the Russians in to, to remove uh, uh, Trump. Uh, exactly. In fact, we just had a whole investigation about Russian influence, and here we're practically, you know, we are literally telling them who their president should be without an election. But it's all the oil. And, uh, look, I was in Kazakhstan, and I was in Azerbaijan. Many people don't even know, in listening, don't feel bad if you don't know where Azerbaijan is. You will when the 101st Airborne gets there if they need the oil. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it's a Caspian Sea oil nation, which I call the, the Islamic Republic of BP, because it's completely controlled by BP. Well, wow. Through bribery and corruption. There's not one opposition member of their parliament. Same in Kazakhstan, not one opposition member of parliament. The, um, the, the president uh, and journalists, what's happened to journalists, they, they've 
they get if you raise your voice in Kazakhstan. I was, by the way, I was arrested in Azerbaijan by um, investigating BP bribery. I was thrown out of Kazakhstan for investigating BP bribery. And what I'm telling you is that these oil nations, and then by the way, an Exxon Mobil official went to prison for three years for paying a $160 million bribe to the president of Kazakhstan, and Hillary Clinton calls him our favorite, our biggest ally in, in Asia, right, and cuddled up to him and had her picture taken. And then, by the way, talk about corruption, after this guy who took, who took $160 million in bribes kills um, journalists who raised their voices, through me, think I just get thrown out of the country because you know they're not going to go after me. But the um, but Bill Clinton was paid a half billion dollar speaking fee yep. by the by this dictator in Kazakhstan. We're not talking about overthrowing the dictatorships of Kazakhstan or Azerbaijan or those dictators in bathrobes known as the Saudi royals, right? Right? Who murdered journalists and chopped them into little pieces? And when was the last election in Saudi Arabia? And by the way, do you remember that when we invaded, when we invaded Iraq to save Yemen, they said, "Oh, they're going to have elections." Maybe I missed it, but do you remember when the last primary was in, in not in Yemen? Excuse me, in. Um, uh, no. they, they they don't have time for prime uh, primaries. They're too busy yeah. doing public beheadings. You know, beheadings in the public square. So they don't really. They got more bigger fish to fry. Right. Basically, so we are not right. So what's happening is is that we're not going after dictatorships. In fact, we're going after one of the few democracies in in uh, South America. Well, it, that, let me ask you this: one of are the you, first democracies. In South are you America. familiar? So one of the other tropes that we hear that I, we I know is a fraud. I've talked to people. I don't know if you know Rick Sterling. I've talked to different people who have yeah. who have who have worked. Um, who actually I have actually had people on who were in Venezuela who were yeah. d- during the elections, and this was before any of this ever had ever happened. And everything that I saw from all of the people who were election who were poll watchers who were watching the election immediately after the election and might i add it was reported in the new york times it was reported in multiple u.s papers and they said venezuela has had the cleanest election ever there was no graft there was nothing wrong it was the clean all these reports and you can look it up in the new york times and the post and on and on and on i know the new york times i don't know about the post so the u.s does all this reporting about how clean the um the Venezuelan election was Maduro wins. In fact, the U.S. even told the opposition, "Well, don't bother to run. Just let so whatever." They didn't run. Maduro wins. Clean. Now, all of a sudden, that they want the oil and they can't get the oil. Now he the the election was corrupt and he didn't win it fairly. What do you think about that? Well, I know that there's a Georgian named Jimmy Carter at the Carter Center who said that he can't. Uh, um, He's not allowed. He runs the election monitoring uh, uh, foundation, of course. And Jimmy Carter said he can't monitor U.S. elections because they don't meet the minimum standards of democracy. <laughs> but then he said Venezuela, and he, by the way, he personally hated Hugo Chavez. He was violently anti-Chavista. But he said, however, Venezuela has probably the most honest elections on this planet. And um, and here's what happened. The reason why. Why Doe didn't run for president and simply declared himself president. Again, this white guy representing a white elite, a vicious white right-wing elite, cannot get elected in a nation with 70% mestizo people who are given housing and food by the Chavista government. In fact, I was when I was down there, one of the... Um, in this dictatorship, one of the most popular uh, newscasters there, who was anti-Chavez, she told me, "Oh, people vote for Chavez because they he gets them bricks to build houses and, and bread. You know, the bricks and bread they just vote for him. Like, can you imagine that type of bribery? Actually, doing something for the people so you get elected." Yeah. Uh, 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 so basically, unlike the U.S., you're over out in California. You know what the homeless situation looks like out there, and it ain't pretty here. Yeah. Unlike the U.S., where we allow people to starve and freeze to death on the streets, Maduro actually like gave them food and put a roof over their uh, over their heads, and uh, and and with with oil money. And our government was like, "Hey, this injustice must not stand. We must put a stop to this and have homeless encampments 
all over the place and people running around spraying the streets for horrible diseases like they were doing in San, in, uh, San Diego last yeah. year. Uh, we've got to make that happen all around the world, just like it does in our wonderful place. Well, and, and we go back to our first subject. My congressman is Adam Schiff. Oh, God. Okay. Is he? I think he's nuts. So, I personally so think he's problem. nuts. He's looking for Russians under every bed. I look out from my window. I walk down the street to the biggest homeless encampments in the United States or in Los Angeles in his district. Okay, we have, an, a, his district covers from the rich Hollywood Hills down into the poorest ends of the San Fernando Valley. And we have a massive, massive problem of a divided economy in the state of California, the richest state in the richest nation in the world. And Adam Schiff is not going to talk about those issues the vital issues of what's going to happen to the to the people of California, what's going to happen to the voters uh, and the, the workers of color in California. Instead, he wants to talk about Russia, Russia, Russia. He wants to say, change the subject on us. And you know what? You're not going to change the subject on us. And the and the tragedy is then you have have a a manipulative monster like Trump who says, I'm going to help you get your job back. You know, we lost. I'm going to tell you something. I come from the poorest neighborhood in Los Angeles, in Sun Valley, Pacoima. We lost the Lockheed plant. We lost the General Motors plant. We are left with literally the porn industry. That's where our young women, <laughs> that's where the girls in my high school, if they wanted a future, it was to go work in the porn industry. That's what was left after they deindustrialized my neighborhood. And... You know, and it was, and it was a very interesting rainbow mix of 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 of, of his black, white, Hispanic, and Asians who were being crushed. And Adam Schiff is not talking about what happened. Instead, we leave it to Donald Trump to tell people, "I'll bring back your, I'll reindustrialize America, I'll save your jobs, I'll make America great again." Blah blah blah. It's all baloney. But when you don't have the Democrats talking about the subjects you leave it to the con artists and the charlatans here's what i think Ray. talk about it i think that populism is inherently left-wing right it is inherently yeah. left-wing however because people are getting mad like oh these rock right-wing pop right-wing populists are winning i believe that if populism is inherently right-wing but excuse me left-wing but yeah. if the left the organized left the parties that are interpreted as the left if they don't offer a populist and the right offers a faux populist or a populist whatever you want to call them the people are going to vote for the populist they can get and so if the and left doesn't the way, open, offer a populist and somebody on the right comes along and says hey i'm a populist the people are going to vote for a populist if there was a left-wing populist there he would have blown trump out but the democratic party it seems to me I may be wrong. It seems to me that the people who run the Democratic Party right now feel like their first mission is to ensure that a progressive or a populist doesn't win. And once they're completely satisfied that they've done that, they'll run against the Republican. Now, they don't care if they win or lose as a Republican. They don't care as long as they continue to get their money from their billionaire donors. And they're like, as long as we keep the progressives and the populists at bay, we'll get our money from our billionaire donors. And they don't care whether we beat the Republicans anyway, because we'd rather lose to the right than lose to the left. Well, well look think, at Ray? this. Okay. Uh, Nancy Pelosi says, H.R. 1, we're going to take on the bad influence of, of money and politics. How did she run for Speaker of the House? She said, you should reelect me because I'm capable of raising a billion dollars. She was proud of saying, I put up the party for sale. I got the highest price. So, so that's why I should be Speaker, because I know how to talk to the big boys and, and uh, shake their wallets. She, by the way, also endorsed Guaido, the unelected white president, to impose on Venezuela. And by the way, this is a perfect segment to Brexit. Right. Because once again, and again, I come out of England and I'm, I'm living and working with a, um, my, my co-investigator, Lenny Badpenny, is a British subject who um, my leftist friends were shocked voted against, voted to leave the European Union. I ain't shocked. I'm and not shocked. And here's why I'm writing now an article explaining Brexit to progressives. There's a reason why populism takes hold. And unless, look, we marched in Seattle in 1999 to put an end to this globalization monster. 
its worst, most vicious, fanged face is the European Union. Yep. And what's happened is that the, the average working person of Britain says all our auto industry has left for Germany and Poland. This is Yes, and it gets caught up in racism because, remember, if the left isn't talking to working people, the right will, yep. and the right will mix. The, yeah, say, blame it on you've Muslims. Lost, okay, you've lost your jobs because the auto industry of Slough in, in England, where the big auto plants used to be, Ford used to be, Rover used to be, all these, got, all these auto plants used to be, and now they've moved to Germany, and they've moved to, to uh, Slovakia, and they've moved to Bulgaria. And, and look, the average person is saying, look, I'm losing my job to this globalization monster. And by the way, the Germans aren't doing If you're a German worker, Ger- Germany, they say, oh, Germany is an economic powerhouse. No, if you're a German worker, you ain't. All you are is the powerhouse is sitting on your back. Well, I, German I, wages I, are, are suppressed, are falling because they have to compete with the Bulgarian workers and the British workers who are trying to get their jobs back. So what they're doing is they're putting all the workers in a bottle right, to fight each other. For the like, lowest like, wage. For the lowest yeah, wage. For the lowest wage, while the corporations use globalization to protect their intellectual property. Right, their intellectual property. They aren't very intellectual, but it's property that they're concerned with. Well, Greg, it's, and, it's, I, I, and this is why. But I'm saying that the left has lost its tiny mind. Listen to the left, and it's, they all sound like NPR people. Like my when I lived in England, my MP was was a guy named Jeremy Corbyn. He was one of my biggest fans because I used to write a lot and report for BBC on on the on the globalization monster of the European Union, the secret meetings. Monsanto is now owned by a German company, Bayer, right? And they they are completely undermining through stealth, guile, lies, and bribes the entire system of protecting Europeans from poisonous drugs and, and genetically modified food, Franken food, okay? That's being imposed by the European Union on the people of Europe. And you know what? The left used to say that was bad. Now, suddenly, Jeremy Corbyn, spending, who is the, if you don't know, he's the leader of the uh, British really? Labor Party opposition, has suddenly said, oh, we please, we want to be part of Europe. If we can't be part of, of the European Union, we should at least have be back in a common market with Europe. It's, in other words, the left has abandoned the working class. Well, let me, say, let me, let me say this. Uh, uh, you know, I think we've got to revisit the terms we use. I think we've got yeah. to revisit because we say the left and, you know, around here we call them the one percentrists. <laughs> you know, they're, they're centrists, but they're the one percentrists. <laughs> and so it, there's a matter of, you know, it, it, this is really the, the, the issue of left and right has been obliterated in this world by neoliberalism because we say neoliberalism, neo being nothing but new or what and they ain't liberals neocons being new conservatives they ain't conservatives and the, the neoliberals ain't, ain't liberals what we have are radical um neocon warmongering elitist fi- economic and military elitists who are they here's what they say well look at me i've got a rainbow flag on so i must be on the left well no you got a rainbow flag and you're evading every country and you're 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 uh, uh doing away with the democracy with these international whether it's the, these the nafta or tpp or the eu to me it's all the same thing these are these are unelected international bodies that do not answer that are actually make our country or excuse me the companies free from the constraints of democracy um, so that's where we are now, as far as I'm concerned. We've got about, well, we only got two minutes left, but what are your thoughts? Finish up and make sure everybody knows where they can find all your stuff. That's important online. Okay, if you want to know about Venezuela, if you want to know about Brexit and globalization, if you want to know about vote theft, please follow my reports. I, I gathered all my reports, whether for Rolling Stone or BBC or, or The Nation. I gather them up at gregpalast.com. And so gregpalace.com, and, and, you know, I'm just about everyone has Prime, it seems, so get the movie, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. You can get it for free, which is a good price. And don't let them fool you. 
and listen to Garland, man. He's got it. I mean, I don't think, by the way, I don't think I've ever had such a brain lock with any other <laughs> broadcaster because I have so many people on as, as the so-called left, which is which has swallowed the Kool-Aid. Oh. Hope and, you know, and it's like, I don't know what's going on here, guys. We had wired the Democratic Party is, is in favor of this return to apartheid rule in Venezuela. We had Senator Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, by the way, saying we have to recognize this guy Guaido because he was legitimately elected. Kirsten, Senator, when was that election? You know, we have lost our minds on this, and we have to reestablish a progressive populist movement. And that's what's now unfortunately missing All in right. America. So that was great. Thanks a lot, Greg. That was Greg Palast. Go to gregpalast.com. We were very fortunate to have that gentleman, a brilliant investigative attorney, excuse me, investigative journalist on. If you want to get in touch with me, at Garland Nixon on Twitter, Garland Nixon on Facebook. Go there. This particular show is on Facebook. I do it every week, but it is a Facebook live video. So make sure you go to Facebook, my Facebook page. Check it out. Share it. Garland dot Nixon on Instagram and Garland in. That's the letter in Garland in at Gmail dot com. Feel free to email me. Oh, my gosh. I look over there and there is the best, the very, very best that this station has about to come on and play some really fantastic music at seven. I'll be back next week. You know, I love my house music. How about this? Hear my call. I'm out.
WPFW, Washington, 89.3 FM. Out of the tree of life I just picked 